Good morning, everybody. Um, I want you to get your Bibles out, and if you need message notes, uh, the ushers have them, and uh, they are available to you uh, to grab a pen or, or a piece of paper. Uh, Romans 15 is where we're jumping in. Just raise your hand real high, and they'll get to you here for a moment. Um, now, um, you know, this, this setup is really fun. I kind of like it. Now, but, but for some of you, you feel kind of like you're going to turn your head. So if you need to, while I'm talking, just turn your chair around as much as you need to, all right? Just, just turn it. Like, this is, this is your living room. This is your space. Turn your chair all the way around so you don't get a crick in your neck, all right? Um, and so, uh, like, you guys over here, like, I mean, if you want to keep facing the wall, that's cool. But, um, but you, can, you can, I mean, it, it is a nice wall. It is cool, but I'm, you know... Um, so, uh, this, so this is kind of fun. So, so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit today about building each other up. Building each other up. When I was in seventh grade, I was, uh, I was really a late bloomer. <laughs> and I was super skinny and scrawny. And, and if you can imagine me, I was, you know, like all of 90 pounds, maybe, maybe 80. And I had this really awesome feathered hair. It was 19, late 70s, I think right around 79, maybe 80. And uh, I, was, I, 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 was, I was generally athletic, but I was in a school where when we, when we had a break, we would go out with multiple, grade, multiple grades, and there was this eighth grader. Eighth grader, he had about 100 pounds on me. Yeah, he was, he was, he was big, he was tough. I think we were playing kickball that day, as I, as I recall it in my mind. And we're playing kickball, and as we're, as, as we're playing, he's just picking on me. He's just, he's calling me out every single time I'm kicking the ball. Every time he's up, he just won't, he's relentless. He won't give up. He's like, I, I actually hurt myself that day. I, I fell. I think I, I, I slid. I can't quite remember exactly how it all happened, but I've tried to block it out over my life. And, um, but, he, but, he, but he was like, he was like, oh, poor little baby got a boo-boo, you know, stuff like that. Stuff like, 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 you want me to call your mama for you? You know, just like over and over and over. Stuff that an eighth grader would say that's like, it's just so stupid. And it, but, it, but it would really bother a seventh grader who's skinny and scrawny and wants to prove himself. He just wouldn't relent. He keeps picking on me, keeps talking to me. We're coming back into class. We're all sweaty. I can feel it. I've hurt myself. I'm bleeding. I'm sweating. It's coming up inside me. I just want to do something to this kid. And, and so he says one more thing to me as we enter the classroom, and I can't take it. And I turn around, and I punch him right in the face. I dropped him right there. Did you just say no way? That, that hurts me. I punched him right in the face, dropped him right there. It was incredible. And then he brought the pain. <laughs> he beat me up so bad. I mean, we had it right there. They had to peel us apart. He had scratched up my back. He gave me bruise, gave me a black eye. I mean, it was awful. 
awful, awful, awful. And I said all that to say that bullies are awful. Aren't they? In our current environment, we not only identify bullies a lot more than we used to, but, but it seems like almost everyone can be a bully in some way on social media. And I tend to think that we're a little overly sensitive. I mean, when I was growing up and people said stuff to me, I was like, oh man. The problem is everybody sees it. Everybody sees you saying things to people. When in, in, my, in my little school, it was just the seventh and eighth graders are just hanging out and that's, that's, those are the only people that witnessed it. Our political climate, yeah, it's so filled with angst and criticism and, and anger. And um, I, was, I, I, was, um, I was thinking about this, and, and Rob Stennett was telling me this story. Uh, it was a New York Times article, and it says, How One Stupid Tweet Blew Up Justine Sacco's Life. Here's the story. She was just on her way to Africa. She was going to be on an 11-day or, uh, I don't know, a week-and-a-half trip or something. And she gets on the trip. She's making jokes on Twitter. And she says a few different things, and she's talking about the German guy beside her. You know, she's going to have to sit with for 11 hours. And she's just talking about, okay, I'm off to Africa. And she says, I hope I don't get AIDS. Right, exactly. That's because it's 2018. She says it, and she just, you know, she's got 170 followers on Twitter. It's no big deal. (laughs) She starts flying. You know, she doesn't have phone service. This is is in 20. 13, um, and, and, and she gets off the plane, and her phone starts blowing up, and her friends start trying to get a hold of her, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. She became the worldwide trending tweet at that moment, like 50,000, hundreds of thousands of people were retweeting her and just shaming her and telling her what an awful person she was and how horrible she was and all this stuff is just coming down on her. I mean, just raining down on her. She actually lost her job because of it. She, for two years, she was just, she had to change her numbers. She had to do everything. She, she had to do all this stuff to try to, to kind of get her life back to normal. And I, want, I, want, I, just, I just tell this story because I think it's a fascinating story, but I also think that it, that it f- sort of feeds into our narrative today that we want to discover how not to tear people down, but to build people up. I think so much of the time, like in our social media environment, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And, I, and I, think, I think what we need to do as the people of God is we need to realize who we are. That God has called us to be different. That we have a mandate. We have a, a kingdom that is an upside-down kingdom. It doesn't function the same way that the world and culture that we live in functions. We do things differently. And this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell this little group of Jewish and Gentile believers. This little group that believes in Jesus, that's following Jesus, 
And in Romans 15, he's coming to the end of his letter. There's a long letter, and there's a lot of theological content, and he's trying to coach them really all the way through. He's coaching them over and over again. And as you get through the last half of chapter 15, he's coaching them directly on what the Old Testament scriptures say about these ideas that we're going to talk about today and how God, God has always wanted his people to build each other up. And, and so he's coaching the Jews and Gentiles because they didn't historically get along. And you, you have Rome, a cosmopolitan city where people from all kinds of eclectic backgrounds have, have merged onto the city. And now uh, these Jews and Gentiles are trying to get along and trying to understand each other. And the Apostle Paul is coaching them on how to treat each other. Romans 15 Verse 1, he says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. That's Psalm 69.9. He's quoting It's a messianic psalm, a messianic prophecy of Jesus himself. He took the insults upon himself. That's what that means. Verse 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that one, with one mind, everybody say one mind. One mind. mind. (laughs) So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. I want you to notice what he says there in that last verse. With one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says actually contributes to one mind and one voice. This is his conclusion, if you will, of what it means, what happens, what transpires when you decide you're going to be a culture of people, a community of people who build each other up. You know, our namesake, one chapel comes from John 17. And John 17, Jesus prayed. He said, Father, make them one like you and I are one. Father, make them one like you and I are one. There is a powerful idea there about what Jesus prayed for us, that we would be united like he and his father were united. Whoa. But I want you to notice in that verse, he didn't just say, I want them to get along with each other and be nice to each other. That's not what Jesus was praying. He was praying something else. He was praying for the world to believe, because he gave a reason. Father, make them one, so that you, like you and I are one, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Listen, the way we treat each other has a profound effect on the evangelistic strategy of our time. Because when people who are from, from different backgrounds and different perspectives and different social and economic backgrounds and pol- even political persuasions, when they come together and they say, oh, we are one people, we have one voice and one mind, we live under the banner of Jesus Christ himself. Number one, when anybody agrees in this culture we live in, it's a miracle. 
And so people want to see it. They like snap to attention. But something happens in us. We who are strong, Paul says, should take care of those who are weak. We should not live to please ourselves, but we should please our neighbors. Look how, look how Eugene Peterson writes it in the Message Bible. I want you to check this out. Ver, I'm going to read all the way through verse 6. You only have, I think, through verse 3 on your notes, but here, I'm going to read the whole thing. It says, Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. If there's a phrase that defines our culture is what is most convenient for us. For some of you, you came into church this morning and the tables, what what are these tables doing here? This is really inconvenient. I can't find my spot. I can't find my place. It's just inconvenient. I have to face some other people across the table. Awkward. No, it's just a little tiny illustration of how we get addicted to our own way. He says, And not just to do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Oh, I love that. That's your little fill in the blank right there if you want to do it right now. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waded right in and helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled is the way the scripture puts it. Even if it was written in scripture long ago, you can be sure it's written for us. God wants the combination of his steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in scripture to come to characterize us. Check that out. The warm personal counsel in the scripture to come to characterize us, keeping us alert for whatever he will do next. May our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity. Everybody say maturity. Maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. You and I are called to get along with each other like Jesus gets along with us. You got to think through that for a minute, don't you? It's like, how does Jesus get along with us? Now, some of you have a bad picture of Jesus. You always see him doing this. It's nice, isn't it? He's he's not doing that. That's not Jesus. Jesus. Jesus gave his life for you. He laid everything down on the line for you. He's interested in your success. He is for you and never against you. He is with you at all times. He is willing to to serve you in every way. He's given all that he has and by the spirit he lives in you and he wants you to have every gift that he has. He wants you to have his name. He wants you to have authority in the kingdom of God. He wants you to have authority in this world. He wants you to have love. He wants you to know you're loved and then he wants you to have the capacity to give it away. Strength is for service, not status. Notice that when he says, please, we should please our neighbors for their good, he, he doesn't, he's not specific, he just says neighbors. According to uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan, everyone is our neighbor. So I hear this, it's fairly convincing. How do we build each other up? There's two key f- 
uh, verses that I want you to notice. Romans 14, we're kind of coming up on last week's message, and then we're moving to chapter 15. Verse uh, 19 in chapter 14 says, so let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. It's so much more natural for us to find fault with things and fault with people. Romans 15, 2, just a key little phrase. He says, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Paul's taking it to the next level. It's not just enough. Hey, listen to me. It's not just enough to tolerate people that you don't get along with in the church or out of the church. It's not just enough to tolerate them because there's one way that the enemy wants to destroy you and me as one chapel, this body of believers. He wants to destroy us by making one group of people mad at another group of people. He wants to create division and he wants to create offense and he wants to create this pulling apart when all that God is doing is trying to bring people together. Notice, I want you to notice in the scriptures, on the story of God, God's trying to pull people to himself and he's trying to pull people together. It seems like our culture is doing just the opposite, trying to pull people apart. And if you're not careful, you will, you will fall for it. But think about this. It's one thing... It's one thing for one group of people in the church to get mad at another group of people, and you've all heard some reference point of stories with that. But it's more diabolical. It's a more diabolical idea to convince each of us to just simply passively accept each other instead of actively engaging in building each other up. In America, we say, live and let live. Live and let live, which is a nice way of saying it's none of your business. And what right do I have to be in any of your business? Right? Those two things. It's a trap that keeps us individualized instead of communal. And this is common to our culture. It's so much easier to be the critic instead of the encourager. It's so much more comfortable to be silent than to be supportive. It's so much simpler to lean back than to lean in. Austin feels like this to me. Austin's kind of this place where everybody's, everybody's super friendly, but it's kind of a cool friendly, like, hey. Hey, dude. Yeah, nice. I mean, go, I was ordering a Torchies the other day, and the guy was like talking to me like I was his best friend. Yeah, dude, sure. Yeah, you know it. You bet. Yeah. Ooh, that sounds good. Awesome. <laughs> right? It's like it's like it's like friendly, but then there's a limit. I think I see it in our church. I hear about it from other pastors. There's a thing in Austin about being cool and friendly. The difference, it's the difference between cool and friendly and warm and caring. Which we're called to be. It's the difference between having manners, which I think we should have with people, versus having a mandate. We need to have manners, but you've got to be convinced you have a mandate. And it is not to do what's convenient for you, but it is to build other people up. You and I have to have manners, but we also have this mandate to live like Jesus. So I want you to turn to your table, and I want you to ask this question. I want you to talk about it for a second. I want you to turn to your table and just say, answer this question. Why is it so challenging 
to build each other up. Write it down right there. Why is it so challenging to build each other up? What gets in the way? What is it? From your perspective, why is it so challenging to build each other up? Discuss. There'll be some music. I'm going to give you five minutes, so you better start now. Four minutes, really. And then the music will come back on.
All right, everybody, give me your attention. That song's called Build Me Up, Buttercup. Come on, everybody say it. Build me up, Buttercup. Oh, sorry. Ready? Build me up, Buttercup. (laughs) If there's one thing I want you to remember from this message, that's it. You're going to go home, and you're going to be like... That was by the Foundations, by the way, 1968, if you want to look it up. It's a pretty cool song. So the real question, how do we do this, right? Most of us are not going to be naturally good at building each other up, either because we didn't get it modeled for us or because we have sort of a, a, a dark and pessimistic view of life or because we've been hurt. There's lots of reasons why we're not good at this, but I want you to see that the Apostle Paul gives us five ways to help us know how to build people up, to build people up. The first idea is aim at unity, aim at unity. Romans 14, 19 says, so let's, let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other, help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. It's one of our key, key verses. Romans fourteen nineteen says, So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. If you're going to build people up, you're going to have to make a commitment to it. You're going to have to decide to do it. And you're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to aim at it. You're going to have to choose it. I I think I just just want us to choose, just say, I'm going to decide, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, from this day on, I'm going to make it one of my daily goals to just build people up. Can you imagine what would happen if all of us, like every one of us, would just do this together? committed to live in this way, our tendency is, we have a natural tendency towards negativity because it's all around us. And, and, and because of pride or insecurity or criti- you know, criticism just comes so much more easy. But I want you to think about aiming at unity instead of expecting it to happen naturally. I want you to think about aiming at encouragement target practice, you know, um, one, of my, 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 one of my kids went through a season where he loved archery and he, you know, get his target outside and he'd try to hit the target and, and there's, a, <clears throat> there's a way of, there's a way that sometimes we function within the church or even within our culture where we, we shoot arrows and then we go draw a target around the arrow, <laughs> right? That's not what we're talking about. We're not just talking about it accidentally happening with what we do. We're talking about taking aim. I want you to try something that's called the 30-second rule. The 30-second rule. Write it down. (laughs) Oh, you mean homework? Yes. The 30-second rule. Within 30 seconds of having a conversation, you're going to say something encouraging to that person. Within 30 seconds, you're going to say something positive and encouraging to people that you come into contact with. The only way this happens is if you and I decide we are going to be proactive and intentional, all right? Set a goal. You'll miss it sometimes. Some days you'll wake up on the wrong side of the bed and just be Mr. Grumpy Pants. Okay, I get it. But you've got to remember what Paul is saying. Aim at unity. Number two. Number two, you have to value everybody. Paul is saying here, value everybody. Romans 14, 15 says, do not by your eating 
destroy someone for whom Christ died. This is last week's discussion. Pastor Rob Stennett did an incredible job last weekend talking about this subject of preferences in Romans chapter 14. But he's talking about how if, if, we're, if the way we eat and our, and our rules and regulations that we live by offends another person, that, we, that we'll, we're willing to change those eating rules or eating preferences. And so we have to think about valuing people in order to change our way. Here's an example of some people we don't value. Drivers on 35. <laughs> right? We don't value them. Um, movie spoilers. What's up with the movie spoilers? Da, 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 da. <laughs> Loud chewers. I know. I know. It, who else? I want you to ask the question. Who else do you look down your nose at? Who do you tend not to value? Here's the reality. Every human being was made in the image of God. Every single person is an image bearer. What if we decided we were going to see everybody we meet in that light? That they have automatic, inherent value because they were made in the image of God. Even those people who irritate you, they may be obnoxious. They may be really annoying. They may be immature themselves. You, may, you actually may completely disagree with them. But you're called to something different. You're called to something different than arguing and proving your point. You're called to something different. And I'm not arguing against having meaningful discussion. I, I, think, I think meaningful discussion is part of what our country was built on, and we're kind of losing the capacity to have respectful, meaningful discussion. We got to practice that ourselves inside the church because I've noticed over the last several years that some people, you know, they just change their context. They're not mean to their neighbors, but they're mean to the other people in the church. Or sometimes the people that are inside the church are, are mean through different social media channels. And we begin, to, we begin to not value people. Jesus died for them too, Paul says. The, and and you've got to get this. The value of a thing is determined by the price of the, the purchaser is willing to pay. Jesus gave his life for every person. The high price that Jesus paid with his life needs to needs to help us understand that every person is valuable to him and that we have a responsibility to build up every person because they have value. Jesus sees people as worthy of forgiveness, worthy of grace. He sees them as worthy of mercy, worthy of sacrifice. He sees them worthy of love. When you get upset and you, you want to bring the pain, like my eighth grader friend, or like me, wanting to punch him in the face, just remind yourself, that they're made in the image of God and Jesus died for them. If God loves them that much, what right do I have to undervalue the people Jesus died for? Number three, focus on the main thing. Focus on the main thing. Romans 14, 16 through 18, it says, Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. The Apostle Paul is saying here, the essence of following Jesus is not external, it's internal. That the essence of following Jesus is an internal, it's an inside work that begins to work its way out. When you really grasp this, you start to be able to put up with the people's external quirks. When you really get this, that God is working his way out of people and their, their faults become a little more, um, you, can, you, can, you can deal with them a little bit easier. I, I think it's so important to understand that everyone does what they do for a reason. You, you just, typically, we just want to call, call the people that we think are annoying or are a problem, we just kind of want to call them stupid and walk away, <laughs> right? But they do, so, they do what they do for a reason. Their quirks, their faults, their, there's things in their past, they have a story. There are wounds, there are, there's a history, Everybody does what they do for a reason. Now, that doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it okay. Sometimes you have to confront them, but you have to remember people do what they do for a reason, and that begins to give you compassion for them. See, you got to keep the main thing the main thing. Check this illustration out. The Bolshevik Revolution of, 20, uh, of 1917. Not 2017. The, the, the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. Check this out. When the Bolshevik Revolution occurred, the Russian Orthodox priests were in a heated debate that nearly split the church. But was it over some major theological issue? No, they were arguing about how long the tassels should be on their robes. That was the burning issue that nearly uh, split the Russian Orthodox Church wide open. And meanwhile, thousands upon thousands of people were being killed in the revolution. Their country was in major turmoil and they were arguing over trivial issues. Let's never be guilty of that one, chaplain. Let's never be guilty of arguing over trivial issues compared to the value of humanity and the main purpose that Jesus has come. Now, I'm kind of a church nerd, and so I've seen something happen over and over again in churches. They don't split over major issues. The vast majority of churches split over trivial and silly things. If you're married, the same is true for you. So many of your fights don't come over meaningful things, trivial things. Like which way the toilet paper is supposed to come off the roll? How many over the top people we got in the room? Under? How many under? Yeah, see? Yeah, that's right. No way. Get it right, people. If you're single, it's the same with you and your friends. There are things that are trivial that you'll have to overlook that you'll have to deal with. If you're, as, you, as you have friends and you begin to live life together with people, they, they have issues and idiosyncrasies, but keep the main thing the main thing. If you're a teenager in the room, it's the same with your parents. They are not perfect, if you haven't discovered. You've probably discovered it. Don't get sidetracked over minor issues. Stay focused on the main thing. What's, what's the main thing? Jesus came for them. 
Jesus is working in them. Jesus loves them. In our church, we have people from all kinds of backgrounds. You got got people who are Methodist, Catholic, Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Jewish people. We got unchurched. We got a whole bunch of differences sitting in the room. We have differing beliefs about some things in the scriptures. If I polled all you guys and I said, what do you believe about when Jesus is coming back? We'd have like crazy, chaotic conversations all over the room. Some of you are pre-millennial, some of you are post-millennial, some of you are amillennial, <laughs> pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. Some of you are like, what are you talking about, Pastor Ross? I don't know what you're talking about. In case you're wondering, I'm a pan-millennialist. I think it'll all pan out in the end. It'll be fine. <laughs> Somehow we managed to all get along. Most of us get along. Why? Because those aren't the main things. Those aren't the main things. We rally around Jesus. The main thing is Jesus. Jesus came to solve the problem of separation from God. He wants to partner with you and I through the work of his spirit in us to see that happen for others. He wants to, you and I to work together, to collaborate, to collaborate with him for the kingdom of God to come to the earth, a kingdom where people are built up and never torn down. got to stay focused on that reality. Number four, limit your liberty out of love. Limit your liberty out of love. Romans 14, 20 says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine, whoa, or do, to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. This is what Paul is saying here, that you limit yourself Limit your freedom based on what other, others need. If my lifestyle causes another to fall away from God, I've missed the point. Paul says we limit our own freedom out of respect and love for others. Remember, the goal is to build people up. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, everything is permissible. This is Apostle Paul. He's, he's talking to the Corinthian church. He says, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Remember, the goal is to build people up. Some things aren't necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. Hey, that's tweetable, people. You can, you can write it down. Some things aren't necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. So I make it my goal to prefer others. I make it my goal, not out of legalism, but out of love. Too often, we're only concerned with enjoying our own freedom. Did you ever baby-proof your home? If, you, if, you, if you've never had kids, here's what happens to parents. They say whatever they want, they do whatever they want, and suddenly, there's a new little person. And when you baby-proof your home, you put latches on the cupboard doors, you, you take the breakable stuff and you put it up somewhere where it can't be touched, you move the antique heirlooms out of the room, you child-proof your home. The motive for that child-proofing is what? It's love. You don't want that kid to get hurt. You want to protect the kid from hurting themselves. And because you're mature as a parent, you do it in love to protect someone else. Kids generally teach us this kind of thing. I know lots of people think, that it is the parent's job to teach the kids how to be adults. But we all realize 
that what happens is the kids end up teaching the parents how to be adults. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. If you'll look at the story of Jesus, you'll see over and over again how he limited his liberty. He could have done anything he wanted to. He could have gone any way he wanted to go. He had the whole world at his disposal. He did things. He limited his liberty for the sake of his friends, for the sake of the crowds, for the sake of the people. He stood before Pilate, limiting his liberty to call the angels of heaven to rescue him. It is what you and I are called to. Number five, don't force your opinions on others. Oh, that one hurt. Wait, we live in America, Pastor Ross. We have a right to our opinion. You have a right to your opinion, but you don't have a right to express it at every turn. And you know why you don't have a right to express it? Because, because you're a, a child of God. You're a servant of the kingdom. You have a, a main purpose. You have a fundamental mandate that you're called to help and serve and love others, that you're called to build them up. And that means regardless of what you eat, if we got vegans in the room, love it, love it, love it. Don't preach it like it's a gospel. There's only one gospel. Some of you meat lovers in the room, get over yourselves. <laughs> There's something bigger. All of this is simply about loving others. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, we who are strong, ought, uh, sorry, 15, 1 and 2 says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. Strength is for service, not status. Now, I'd like the band to come back up, and we're going to end our time together with a moment of worship. But I want to ask you to do a special thing. In your, in your baskets, you will find uh, brightly colored cards. Somebody just get those colored cards out of there and start to pass them out. Brightly colored, little tiny cards. It's in there. They're little. I want you to pass that out. Now, while I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit's been working. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And he may have given you an encouraging word for another person. And while we worship together, I want you to think about who you want to encourage. I want you to Activate this thing right here, right now. And if you need to use the front and the back, go ahead. If you need to use two cards, that's fine. This small enough, they can actually put it in their wallet or put it in their, their purse and, and keep it and carry it around with them. But I want you to think about, maybe it's a person at your table and you just need to encourage them. Hey, when you said this during the discussion, I really appreciated it. You see, you see how easy it is just to go on and not take time to encourage people. I want you to take time to do it. Pray a little bit. Write an encouraging note, something that builds someone up before you go right here. The communion tables are open. If you want to go, there's one back here, one in the back here, over here, and, and in the corners. 
And so if you, if you get finished or whatever you want to do, you want to come to the Lord's table, please feel free to. We'll do it randomly, not all at the same time. Father, we just come to you and we ask you to speak to us about the mandate you've given us to be the people who never tear down and always build up. That we are called to become like Jesus in this way. Would you speak to us now and help us to to activate your work in us to encourage one another to encourage people who are near us Lord Jesus I pray your spirit would speak prophetically even in this room prophetically from your heart to those people through our words in Jesus name Amen